Hello, friends. This is Matthew, the parish pastor at Trinity Eastside. Welcome to the Trinity Podcast. I'm going to read this morning uh, from Matthew chapter 27, verse 32 to 44. It's an account of the crucifixion of Jesus. Um, so it's kind of a hard text to hear and uh, to think on. And yet, this is the text before us today. And so I just invite you to, to the best of your ability, um, be present. And uh, let's hear these words together. As they, that is Jesus and the guards, went out, they came upon a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they compelled this man to carry Jesus' cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but he, when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his clothes among themselves by casting lots, and then they sat down there and kept watch over him. Over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. The two bandits were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, shaking their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. And in the same way, the chief priests also with the scribes and the elders, they were mocking him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross now, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he wants to, for he said, I'm God's son. And the bandits who were crucified with him also taunted him in the same way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we are so grateful today that this moment took place, that your love that the love of God was shown for us in the willingness of God and God's Son to suffer with us and for us in this way. And yet, Lord, it's it's possible that these words feel very distant and, and far from us. So would you please help us? Would you bring them near? Would you make this vivid? Would you help us to see Jesus today? And we pray these things in his good name. Amen. So this is um, this is a hard passage, and it might seem strange, perhaps, uh, for you to be thinking about this today as you're, you know, on a walk or driving or you know, on a run, folding laundry, whatever you're doing right now. One of the gifts of the office is that the Bible comes to us, as 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 we say here at Trinity, rather than we go to the Bible. And so I just always think it's good to remember when we come across, especially texts that are hard or hard to maybe fit into what you're thinking about right now, to remember the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer to his disciples, to just receive the word of God that is before us as God's word to us today. Just imagine and believe as we begin this, that, that God wants you and he wants me to be thinking about the crucifixion of Jesus from Matthew's gospel for a few minutes together because he has something to say to us, to give us, to show us, to do in us right now. So first, I just want to ask this question um, as, a, as, a, as a beginning. Why, why does so much center on the cross? You know, the Gospels have, and I can't remember who first said it, um, the Gospels have been called or described as passion narratives with long introductions. And I think that's, I mean, I think that that's overly simplistic, as many people have said as well. Um, the reason that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John exist is not only to talk about the death and resurrection of Jesus. And yet there is no doubt that each Gospel, in its own way, when it gets to the passion of Jesus, 
uh, suddenly, and in a way found nowhere else in the New Testament, it suddenly just slams on the brakes as far as the pace goes. If, if, uh, you know, if, if the camera had been shooting at this point up to like 30 frames per second, which is standard, um, or actually probably more like 15 frames a second because the Gospels move along at a pretty good clip, uh, when you get to the Passion stories, we're suddenly shooting at 120 frames a second. I mean, we're slowed way down. We're seeing details we don't get anywhere else, and they're vivid. There's Jesus, and he's spitting sour wine on the ground that's been mixed with gall. Gall was used to actually deaden some of the, the pain, um, not, not in any way that would actually bring relief, but Jesus tastes that, he spits it out. They're gambling over his clothes while they keep watch on him. There's a man from Cyrene, which is modern-day Libya, carrying the cross. We're told about the sign they post over his head, and and a series of taunts that he receives, the arrangement of the crosses on the hill called Golgotha, and the translation of that name, everything is just slowed down and focused. Why? Well, the reason is, is because this is, um, this moment is the first movement of a two, of two movements that will summarize and transform all of history. And that's why. Um, in retrospect, we look at this lonely, tortured Nazarene writhing in pain on a cross, and we see God actually entering into the dead center of human suffering, of systemic injustice, of imperial oppression, of human sin. God entering into the dead center of it. And we see God on a cross, a full participant in the brokenness, death, shame, and grief of human life. After Jesus is on the cross. No one will ever be able to say God doesn't know what it's like or God doesn't care. And when God's son does finally succumb to death, he triumphs over that in the second movement of two movements that summarize and transform all of history. Um, In a few days when he will abolish the iron grip that death has held over all living things up to this moment. And in the second of these two movements, the momentum of the universe swings 180 degrees in the opposite direction. And now life and not death is the final word. No moment in my life or in your life has mattered as much for you or for me as these moments that transpired 2,000 years ago in Palestine. There's just no... There's no equating it. And this is why the Bible so much of the time focuses on the cross. This is why the church returns to the cross every single week at the communion table. This is, this is why our songs return to the cross again and again. This is why most of the New Testament is an exploration of what occurs on the cross. Because there is um, no equal to this moment in history. And in the Gospel of Matthew, in chapter 27, you and I are invited to be with Jesus and to suffer with him, to see him. A few years ago, I watched a movie that came out, I don't know, a couple of years ago, called Risen. And um, it's, a, it's a retelling of the, the resurrection. And it's told creatively. And if you haven't seen it, it's, it's actually pretty interesting. It has some, has some really powerful moments. But there's this one scene where this uh, Roman general, uh, a guy named uh, Clavius, is interrogating one of the disciples of Jesus, uh, Bartholomew, and he's, uh, he's threatening him with crucifixion, and he just asks, have you ever seen a man crucified before? And um, this, is, this is what he says. He, he throws a nail, a long iron nail, at Bartholomew's feet, and he says, imagine having this driven through your arms and the same driven through your feet. Your feet, can you imagine it? And that's what you hang from 
nails rubbing on bone. You have to decide what is worse, the agony in your wrists or in your heels. You choose which torture your own weight will inflict, constantly. And then you discover that you can't breathe. And you realize that you will never breathe easily again, and that every breath for the rest of your horrific life will be like sucking through a wet cloth. Um, and that's how, um, that's how Jesus of Nazareth died. For six hours, he choked to death to the sounds of his weeping mother and the jeering of onlookers. And Matthew slows down the frame because he wants you and me to just be there. You and I are called to simply stay there, not to try to relieve his suffering. There's nothing we can do, but to just, to just look at him. Why would we do this? Well, one of my favorite passages in the Bible is Hebrews chapter 12. Let us run with perseverance. We're being called to do something. To run the race that is set before us. How? Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Who is Jesus? He is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Who, for the sake of the joy that was before him, he endured the cross. Despising the shame. Why do we focus on Jesus? Why do we look at this suffering man on the cross? What are we hoping will come from this? The Bible answers that question with this. What will come from that is the endurance and the perseverance you and I need to continue forward. That there is a strange available power to you, for you and me in seeing Jesus endure. This is why the author of Hebrews calls us to fix our eyes on Jesus. And he describes Jesus in the next breath as the pioneer or the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Do you know what that means? It means that our endurance and perseverance is made certain or sure because Jesus is the perfecter of your faith, not you. So the pressure is off that you and I are called to run with perseverance, a race that is set before us, and we are in an endurance race right now. Many of us acknowledge that. Um, We are called to run with perseverance, the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on one who has already endured for us and is the perfecter of our faith. So the pressure is off, and instead the opportunity lies before you and me to continue forward, keeping our eyes fixed on the one who endured perfectly for, for you and me. And it says finally in closing, um, keeping our eyes fixed on the one who endured perfectly. Why? Because of the joy that was set before him. So you see Jesus on the cross, nails rubbing against bone, choosing what part of his body will support his gasping and choking next breath. And Jesus is in this moment enduring for a joy that is set before him. And the question is, of course, what is that joy? What is that a picture of in the mind of Jesus and the blurry-eyed vision of the one trying to hear his own thinking above the sound of the taunts? What is before his mind in that moment? What was the joy? Well, of course, the question might be, what was lacking in Jesus before the cross? What joy did he not have before the cross? Well, it wasn't glory. He actually says in John 17 that he has experienced glory with the Father since before the foundation of the world. 
It wasn't peace because he's able to extend his peace to us long before the cross. Jesus had a deep and abiding peace that was, that was eternal and, 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 and constant. It wasn't the love of his father. Jesus had known the love of his father from the beginning of all things and before, and he would always carry that with him to the end. What is the joy set before Jesus? What did he not have before the cross that he would have after enduring the cross? The answer is you. He didn't have you yet. The scriptures are clear. On the cross, Jesus was in a way that is utterly mysterious to you and me. He was ransoming us. He was was winning for himself what would later be called the bride of Christ. Us. The people that he pulls from darkness and brings into his light that he rescues from slavery and oppression and sin and death to bestow on them life and peace and a kingdom and glory. And that may be, that may feel detached from where you are right now, but it doesn't stop the writer of Hebrews from saying it to us because the writer of Hebrews was not living in some sort of strange floating cloud world. It was a very real world full of troubles and persecutions economic hardships, job loss, physical suffering and pain, and even torment, torture, and persecution. This is the world into which those words were written, a world that was um, complex and hard to navigate and full of minor trivial things that you and I still struggle with today. And he says, she says, whoever it is that penned that letter, the way forward for you and me is to look at Jesus enduring so that he could have you. And I pray that you and I might let that creep a little bit deeper into our hearts right now. And that we might experience the gift of knowing that because Jesus has endured perfectly for us, the pressure is off on us. Now we just have the invitation to look to him, to be inspired and led by him, so that we can endure through this uh, present darkness. For I'm convinced, as Paul says, that the light and momentary afflictions that we are enduring are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. And so, uh, friends, loved ones, may you have the grace today to just fix your eyes uh, not on the problems and not on the pain and not even on yourself, but on the one who endured for you. Grace and peace to you. You are loved. I hope you are well and hope that we are together soon.